Part three, chapter one of the Gentlemen and Ladies Book of Politeness and Propriety of Deportment. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Gentlemen and Ladies Book of Politeness and Propriety of Deportment by Elizabeth Selnar. Part three, chapter one of Entertainments politeness ought as we have seen to direct and embellish all the circumstances of life but it is if possible still more necessary in relation to pleasures which without it would have no attraction without intending to adopt the epigrammatic style i will say that dining is almost an event so many points of propriety have the master of the house and his guests to observe when we intend giving an entertainment, we begin by selecting such guests as may enjoy themselves together, or at least tolerate one another. If it is to be composed of gentlemen, there should be no lady present except the lady of the house. The dinner being determined upon, we give out two or three days beforehand verbal or written invitations. During the carnival or other season of gaiety, it is necessary to do it at least five days in advance, on account of the numerous engagements. When we receive a written invitation, we must answer immediately whether we accept or not, although silence may be considered equivalent to an acceptance. In the latter case, we should give a plausible reason for our declining, and do it with politeness. When the invitation is verbal, we must avoid being urged, for nothing is more foolish and disobliging. We ought either to accept or refuse in a frank and friendly manner, offering some reasonable motive for declining to which we should not again refer. It is not allowable to be urged, except when we are requested to dine with someone whom we have seen only at the house of a third person, or when we are invited on a visit or other similar occasion. In the former case, if we accept, we should first leave a card in order to open the acquaintance. Having once accepted, we cannot break our engagement, unless for a most urgent cause, an invitation ought to specify exactly the hour of meeting, and you should arrive precisely at that hour. The table should be ready, and the mistress of the house in the drawing-room to receive the guests. When they are all assembled, a domestic announces that the dinner is served up. At this signal we rise immediately, and wait until the master of the house requests us to pass into the dining-room, whither he conducts us by going before. It is quite common for the lady of the house to act as guide, while he offers his hand to the lady of most distinction. The guests also give their arms to ladies, whom they conduct as far as the table, and to the place which they are to occupy. Take care, if you are not the principal guest, not to offer your hand to the handsomest or most distinguished lady, for it is a great impoliteness. Having arrived at the table, each guest respectfully salutes the lady whom he conducts, and who in turn bows also. It is one of the first and most difficult things properly to arrange the guests, and to place them in such a manner that the conversation may always be general during the entertainment. We should as much as possible avoid putting next one another two persons of the same profession, for it would necessarily result in an aside conversation, which would injure the general conversation, and consequently the gaiety of the occasion. The two most distinguished gentlemen are placed next the mistress of the house the two most distinguished ladies next the master of the house. The right hand is especially the place of honour. 
If the number of gentlemen is nearly equal to that of the ladies, we should take care to intermingle them. We should separate husbands from their wives, and remove near relations as far from one another as possible, because, being always together, they ought not to converse among themselves in a general party. The younger guests, or those of less distinction, are placed at the lower end of the table. In order to be able to watch the course of the dinner, and to see that nothing is wanting to their guests, the master and mistress of the house usually seat themselves in the centre of the table, opposite each other. As soon as the guests are seated, the lady of the house serves in plates, from a pile at her left hand, the soup which she sends round, beginning with her neighbours at the right and left, and continuing in the order of their distinction. These first plates usually pass twice, for every one endeavours to make his neighbour accept whatever is sent him. The master of the house carves, or causes to be carved by some expert guests, the large pieces, in order afterwards to do the honours himself. If you have no skill in carving meats, you should not attempt it, and never discharge this duty, except when your good offices are solicited by him. Neither can we refuse from his hand anything sent us. A master of a house ought never to pride himself upon what appears on his table, nor confuse himself with apologies for the bad cheer which he offers you. It is much better for him to observe silence in this respect, and leave it to his guests to pronounce eulogiums on the dinner. Neither is it in good ton to urge guests to eat, nor to load their plate against their will. I will now give a few words of advice to guests, puerile it may be, but which it is well to listen to and observe. It is ridiculous to make a display of your napkin to attach it with pins upon your bosom, or to pass it through your buttonhole, to use a fork in eating soup, to ask for meat instead of beef, for poultry instead of saying chicken or turkey, to turn up your cuffs while carving, to take bread, even when it is within your reach, instead of calling upon the servant, to cut with a knife your bread, which should be broken by your hand, and to pour your coffee into the saucer to cool. Guests of the house of a distinguished personage are accompanied each by his own servant, who takes his place behind his chair. They should not address him during the entertainment, still less reprimand him. Before placing themselves at the table, they ought to direct him to serve the other guests also, and to retire as soon as the table is cleared, because the domestics of the house ought to eat by themselves. During the first course, each one helps himself at his pleasure to whatever he drinks, but in the second course, when the master of the house passes round choice wine, it would be uncivil to refuse it. We are not obliged, however, to accept a second glass. When at the end of the second course the cloth is removed, the guests may assist in turning off that part of it which is before them, and contribute to the arrangement of the dessert plates, which happen to be near, but without attempting to alter the disposition of them. From the time that the dessert appears on the table, the duties of the master of the house diminish, as do also his rights. If a gentleman is seated by the side of a lady or elderly person, politeness requires him to save them all trouble of pouring out for themselves to drink, of procuring anything to eat, and of obtaining whatever they are in want of at the table. He ought to be eager to offer them what he thinks to be most to their taste. It would be impolite to monopolize a conversation which ought to be general. If the company is large, we should converse with our neighbours, raising the voice only enough to make ourselves understood. 
Custom allows ladies at the end of an entertainment to dip their fingers into a glass of water and to wipe them with their napkin. It allows them also to rinse the mouth, using their plate for this purpose. But, in my opinion, custom sanctions it in vain. It is for the mistress of the house to give the signal to leave the table. All the guests then rise, and, offering their arms to the ladies, wait upon them to the drawing-room, where coffee and liqueurs are prepared. We do not take coffee at the table, except at unceremonious dinners. In leaving the table, the master of the house ought to go last. Politeness requires us to remain at least an hour in the drawing-room after dinner, and, if we can dispose of an entire evening, it would be well to devote it to the person who has entertained us. We should not leave the table before the end of the entertainment unless from urgent necessity. If it is a married lady, she requests someone to accompany her. If a young lady, she goes with her mother. The question whether it is proper or not to sing at table depends now upon the ton of the master of the house. We do not sing at the houses of people of fashion and the high classes of society, but we may do it at the social tables of citizens. In this case, we may repeat what has been said and proved a thousand times, how ridiculous it is to be urged when we know how to sing, or to insist upon hearing a person sing who has an invincible timidity. After dinner, we converse, have music, or more frequently prepare the tables for games. In the course of the soiree, the mistress of the house sends round upon a waiter eau sucrée, or refreshing syrups. During the week which follows the entertainment, each guest owes a visit to the person who has invited them. We usually converse at this time of the dinner, of the pleasure we have enjoyed, and of the persons whom we met there. This visit has received the cant name of the visite de digestion. End of part three, chapter one.